as our ushers complete taking the offering, would uh, you turn in your Bibles with me? And for the Gavin brought one, there's probably one in the seat in front of you. Uh, this morning we're going to be reading out of um, three passages. The first one is the primary passage in John chapter 10. Um, but I'll actually complete with a couple other uh, readings as well. John chapter 10. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I'm going to also read from Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 29. These are further sayings about us as shepherds. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And also we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusting to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away.
This is the word of the Lord. We want to look at uh, Jesus, the good shepherd. The shepherd of Psalms 23 is now identified. You say, the Lord is my shepherd. We're talking about Jesus Christ. doesn't say that in Psalms 23, but John 10 makes it identified. Everything the shepherd does for you in Psalms 23, Christ does for you. And we're going to look at six things about Christ uh, as our good shepherd that ought to be comforting to us and be assuring to us. And then I'm going to take some liberty to uh, uh, reach in and at least look at uh, at least five challenges uh, to us men uh, who've been made under shepherds. And I even think of Sunday school teachers and teachers on different levels that on any level, if you're shepherding, uh, we were talking about, uh, we often go on about a, a Ron Hughes, this uh, big Tennessee boy that I know my great-grandson at age three can't wait to see Brother Ron uh, because he's been teaching kids now for 20 years, and he kind of shepherds them. And these little ones, it's, we get women to do this, but very few men. So he kind of is in a league of his own. Uh, on whatever level you may be involved in caring for people, uh, looking at the great and the good shepherd, I think there's some applications that challenge us. And so we want to look at those things. And so let us first begin that in the first six verses, uh, Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees that kicked the blind man out of the synagogue. And so he's carrying on his discourse. And he begins to tell them a story, a figure of speech. Uh, only shepherds go in at the gate. Thieves and robbers come in another way. They don't come into the rightful entrance to a fold of sheep. And uh, he enters, and the doorkeeper opens to him. Sheep hear his voice. He calls their name. He leads them out. And when he brings them out, he goes ahead, and a stranger they will not follow because they do not know the voice of the strangers. This is the first figure of speech, and later on, Christ says, I am the door, in verse 7. And there seems to be a mixture here. Let me uh, give you the background. When they built a place for sheep near the village in the town, several flocks would be kept in this fold, and they would have a hired man that took care over the night all these sheep. So you might have two, three, who knows, four flocks in one fold. And uh, a man was paid to take care of them. And uh, the next morning, the true shepherds, they would show up to this fold and they would begin to call out their sheep by their unique voice. They would have different sing songs and different little ways. And of course, they named some of their sheep. Sometimes a flock might be 30, maybe 50, and they could call them by name, but they had a voice that was familiar. And this man's flock would come out and follow the shepherd. Then another shepherd would come, and he'd call his sheep by name, and they would recognize his. They could just separate the sheep based upon the identification of the shepherd's voice. This went on all the time. Because the shepherds, they'd go home at night. They'd want to be with the family. But they had a paid man to take care of the sheep. But when it goes down to the other analogy, I am the door to the sheep or the gate. He's speaking of when they were out in the wilderness or when they were going to other pasture, and they were away from villages, away from this flock situation. And out in the wilderness, they would have other folds that would be up against a hill, sometimes in a cave, uh, different ways, 
to take care of these sheep. And at this fold, there was no door and there was no gatekeeper. So at night, the shepherd himself would sleep in the entrance to the fold. He became the door. And so the sheep inside would have to jump over him to get out. And a predator, a wolf, a thief, anything to get in would have to get over that shepherd. So it's two different shepherd analogies from the first century. And taking care of sheep in those days had its dangers. You remember, David, uh, I killed a bear and I killed a lion taking care of a flock. Now, I want to ask you, would you hang out for a flock if a bear was coming? Uh, what about a lion? I tell you, just in the natural, I'd be setting a new track record. <laughs> so you can have all the lamb chops you want because I'm not hanging out. My life is more precious than this flock. But David himself trusted God and uh, killed the bear. Nobody knew about it. His brothers didn't even know about it. Killed a lion. So by the time he saw Goliath, he said, I've already been trusting God to uh, take on enemies bigger than me. He was just a boy. And so we see the setting, the figure of speech, and now Christ is going to weigh in, and he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, lays down his life. He says it four times in the narrative. Through verse 18, four times, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, uh, that's amazing. I have come to, the sheep will cost me my life. And I know that. I know it ahead of time. Uh, John the Baptist announced me as the Lamb of God. And here's what's very interesting. Our shepherd is also a lamb. He knows what it is to be sacrificed. And as the shepherd, he says, I am going to lay down my life on behalf of my sheep. And in verse 18, he says, no one can take my life. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And it's a very strong uh, construction in Greek. It's a middle voice that says, I for myself lay down my life. I for myself will pick it up again. I voluntarily will die a substitutionary death on behalf of my sheep. This is a definite atonement verse. There's places it says he died for the church. Here it says he died for the sheep. You see, the cross work of Christ had universal implications. Uh, it even reconciled things in the heavens, according to Colossians 1. Things in the heavens were reconciled. The death of Christ accomplished many things. And you have this remote sense in which uh, I come, I'll give my life for the world of humanity. You come here, he's saying, I came in a special sense. I bought my sheep at the cross. This is definite. I had a definite, the cross accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. It saved the elect. It is a sentence against those who refuse to believe. And here's the idea that is amazing. Did the cross make salvation possible, or did the cross actually save anybody? You don't have to answer. Most people say he only made it possible. He says, for my sheep, it's actual. I didn't just make it possible. I actually purchased a church at the cross. I actually purchased sheep 
at the cross. I did ransom them. I did set them free. He never did set Hitler free. He set his sheep free. It bought someone. It's not just a glob, just a, a big bunch of atonement. Because, see, we've got this mind. God's got to love everybody. Well, uh, let me differ with you. Who in the world is God angry with? He's pouring out his wrath, according to Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is presently being revealed. In Psalms 1 through 50, 14 times, he says he hates the wicked. Does he? Is that right? But we've manufactured a God that's all lovey, lovey, lovey. And this is your job description. You've got to love me no matter what I do. You got to love me. You got to love me. Wait, wait a minute. God's anger, God's wrath is a part of his holiness. And when you go against his holy character, he's right to be angry and to display his wrath. Did you know according to John 3:36, all unsaved people including us are abiding beneath the wrath of God? Turn back. You, you don't believe me. Turn back. I can see that glaze on your eyes. Look, look, look at John 3, 36. You there? 3, 36. He who believes in the Son is having eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God. You see, God's love We've made it gooey, universal, broad. It doesn't save anybody, but it's just nice to know he loves you, even though you're going to hell. Five ways the word love is used in the Bible. And I get this from D.A. Carson, the difficult doctrine of the love of God. Number one, it's used of the love of the Father for the Son, intimate, overwhelming, and it's always being dealt with in John. They love each other with an eternal, intimate, like microwave love, interpenetrating love. It's just overwhelming. Then you have this love that he displays in the Scripture that uh, uh, he is providential care. He, he gives rain. He gives seasons. He gives good gifts to all men. Uh, he allows procreation. He allows rain, sun. That is God's love towards all mankind in just providing. Even the wicked. He's good to even the wicked. He gives them children, prosperity, health, life, crops, weather. Uh, they don't love him, but God's good anyway, isn't he? Yeah, it's loving to, to do all that. And, but then... He says, I've got a love for mankind called God so loved the world. And that's universal. And uh, it's not just how big is his love, but world in John always represents how bad we were. Because the world represents that sphere of people under the control of Satan. And what does Scripture say about you and I? We were once children of disobedience, objects of divine wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were the objects of God's wrath at one time. Are you aware of that? And God displayed his love for the world and us. When we were ungodly, sinful, and weak, God demonstrated his love toward us in that he gave Christ. Universal. But then we start getting a particular love. You hear him say in Deuteronomy you, O Israel, have I loved out of all the nations of the earth. No other nation have I loved like you. You I have set my affections on. And he tells them, not because you were better than the other nations, for you've been a stubborn and a stiff-necked people. You didn't deserve it, but I chose through Abraham to build a posterity. Matter of fact, I said to Jacob, I love you, and to Esau, I hate you. 
You say, God can't do that. I, 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 I want to tell you, he said it. Malachi 1-2. Particular, you little Israel, why do you think Israel still exists? Because all the Gentiles want them to? They have been hated, hunted, tracked down for centuries, and you can't get rid of them because God loves them. And I don't wait for the politicians to tell me what to think or what God's going to do with Israel. I got the prophets. And you don't know enough of the Bible to even know they got a future. God's not done with Israel. And then he says, I love my bride in a way I don't love other women. I sure want one of married guys says, I just love all women. Well, that's nice if I know what you mean. They're nice. I want to be good. How do you love me any different? Well, I just love you the same. You just happen to get me. That wouldn't quite get it. I love you because you're special. You're, you want my heart. I have a feeling, an affection, and a commitment to you I have towards no other woman on the face of the earth. We call that marital love and commitment. What is the church called? The bride of Christ. See, you don't know God has a particular love for you. You aren't just another chump on the street. You are chosen, set aside. He has numbered the hair of your head inscribed you in the palm of his hands. He has chosen you from the foundation of the world. And get this straight, you are not just ordinarily loved. You've been loved with a special, elective, definite love. And the cross didn't just provide a gob of atonement and forgiveness. For you, it will be effectual. For the world, it's there, but for us, it's been made effectual. He really bought me at the cross. The cross did not fail. Christ didn't go back to heaven and say, well, I died for them, Father, but we don't know if anybody's going to believe it. We don't know if anybody's going to buy it. No. He went back to heaven. He said, I bought all the sheep. I bought a church. I bought everyone from Adam to the last man that's going to be in my chosen people made of Jew and Gentile. I bought them, Father. I know I got them at the cross. They're mine. The others can reject. The others can go their way, but they can never say God didn't stoop to come and die a sacrificial death. But I bought some people that are going to be saved in time, and I'm going to call them sheep. I'm going to call them my bride. I'm going to call them my people. And the gates of hell is not going to prevail against them because I've loved them with eternal love that no man is going to take them out of my hand. We are the loved of God. We are the loved of God. I don't care if your mama loved you. I don't care if your daddy loved you. It doesn't matter if nobody else loves you. When you know God loves you, it changes everything. It changes everything. He loves you with an eternal love. He goes on. I feel excited that he loves me this much. Pardon me. My back's hurting, but I might have a conniption anyway. And then he goes on in verse 12 and 13, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He, he's only in it for wages, and he is not concerned about the sheep. He doesn't care. I think the second comforting thing Jesus is saying, I care for my sheep, and I will not abandon them. He uses the story of this gatekeeper in the town. All the shepherds pitched in and paid him a wage. 
And, um, and it was a legitimate, it was a legitimate business deal. But he says the shepherds have a higher motivation towards their flock. Of course, many times they had them from lambs. They would often hold them at night. Uh, they gave them personal names. A bond would develop between them. And as in the case of David, they would risk their life. It was more than a, a paycheck. They didn't have that flock because uh, they got a good salary offer. And Jesus says, I'm not for hire. I'm a shepherd. I don't do what I do for wages. I love my people with a love that doesn't, it would be an insult to put a wage down at the feet of Jesus. Got to pay me so much, Father, to take care of these sheep. You got to pay me so much to be their shepherd. You got to pay me so much to care. You can't buy care with a wage. Reminds me of the uh, missionaries that were running a leper colony. And a news reporter came out and uh, was observing the work and this colony and uh, was quite overwhelmed with the disease and the condition of the people and uh, what these missionaries were going through. And he made a statement to one of the missionaries at the end of the tour that went like this. I wouldn't do this job for a million bucks. To which the missionary replied, neither would I but I would do it for Jesus. Is there anything you would do for Jesus that you wouldn't do for money? Be honest. Or does everything have a price to get you? You don't love him enough, and you don't love his church enough that if you don't give me a price, I'm not interested. Well, you're a hireling. You don't have the shepherd's heart. My shepherd said, no price can ever get me to forsake you. Wolves, thieves, liars, the gates of hell, I promise you, I will not flee like the hireling. Hirelings fled so often in ancient Near East that the rabbis finally made a rule that you had to prove there were at least two predators that came for the flock. And that's why you fled. If there was just one, they would hold you accountable for losing the flock. Our shepherd not only came to live for us, but he said, I'll let the predators kill me, and in three days I'll rise again because a dead shepherd can't take care of sheep. He rose again. Our shepherd's alive, but he's already died. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. What a statement. To say he knows you, I think that's easier, but for him to say we get to know him because God is hidden if he wants to be. He, you only get to know God if he wants to disclose himself to you. If he doesn't want you to know him, he, he can conceal himself. He can hide himself. The psalmist often said, you've hid yourself. I can't find you. But here he says, there's a reciprocal knowledge that goes between the shepherd and his people. He knows them, and we get to know him. Just like the father and the son. And uh, let me tell you something. When God called you a sheep, it wasn't a compliment. It's his way of saying, you're a dummy. Uh, let me tell you the characteristics of a sheep. Uh, they're nearsighted. They can get lost in their own pasture. They, they really do. They, they, they're always wondering. And they say there's something about them that is weird, that if there's one hole in, in a gate or an enclosure, they always will find it and get out. And you get this from Philip Keller 
and New Zealand shepherd. They have an instinct for getting lost. All we like sheep have gone astray. If, if you can get lost, sheep can do it. Uh, something about sheep, they are totally defenseless. They, they have nothing to fight with. Uh, they're in danger of drowning because of the wool. Uh, if they get in water, it can drown them. And uh, Keller brings out a common problem with sheep. They call it casting. And casting is a condition that when sheep lie down, they may get into a uh, sunken place in the earth uh, that's comfortable for them. But what they must be careful, when they get on the side, they've got to be sure that gravity doesn't move them over to their back. That's casting. Because once they get on their back, all they can do is make those four paws do all this. They can't get up. They can't right themselves. So a shepherd has to set them back up on their feet. They can't even get up. Now let's talk about you. <laughs> Are you nearsighted? You don't even know the next step. You see some Christian, I don't know where he's leading me. I don't know what God's will is. I don't know the next step. Oh, honey, just trust the shepherd. You don't, he didn't give you a map. He just said, I'll lead you. You don't need to know about tomorrow. It's today. It's not where you are. It's what you are today. What, not where. Should I be there? Should I be there? Geography isn't your problem, honey. It's what you are towards him. Are you listening? Are you listening? His sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. They don't read a GPS. Well, go right, go left. No, no, no. All they need is him, him. One professor said, sheep are proof that evolution's got to be wrong, that they've even survived. The only reason sheep survive is they've got a shepherd. And some of you have been terrible sheep because you've been in charge all your life, you dummy. And you're so that you know the way. You know the way without God, but you don't know the way of God. And he says, I know my sheep. I know how weak they are, how they can't figure out the right way to eternal life, uh, how many predators are after them, how many times they're just down, they can't get up. Uh, they've fallen down. Another's hand has to reach them. They can't rescue themselves. And he even says he knows them so well that he calls them by name. Now, he says he not only knows them, but they know him. You know, I, I feel when he called me, I know he knows my name. I heard dummy and I answered. Or bozo. What does he call you? If he was to call you by what you really are, what name would it be? Uh, doubting? Murmurer? Oh, joyful. That's, that's me. Straying? Weak? Lame? Stubborn? What, is that your name, any of you? There's about 80 of you there. You look guilty. Uh, complaining, you know, weak, broken, uh, stra uh, stranded. I can't get up. I don't know how to get out of this. I'm in a mess. I need help. Can you hear the shepherd's voice? He knows how to set you up again. He knows how to give you strength. And when the wolf's coming, there's only one shepherd that can handle this wolf, Jesus and that wolf, that wolf attacked so strong that he took him to the cross, but he never counted on him coming back alive. He never counted on that. So we know Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Just to say that in all this world, you know the shepherd. That's comforting. And then I, I think it's comforting to me 
that in verse 18, when he went to the cross, he wanted you to know nobody made him do what he did. His love was voluntary. His sacrifice was, because I think sometimes we picture Christ was killed by a mob and, uh, you know, couldn't get out of it. No, he said, I could call 10 legions of angels. I can get out anytime. I volunteered to be the shepherd at the cost of my life. Now, if he did that at the cross, Romans 8 said, if God did not spare his son, the hardest thing for him to do, will he not give you everything to come? The hardest part of rescuing you has already been done, the death of Christ, and he did it voluntarily. I don't know about you, but if they'd had to drag Jesus to the cross and he would have been kicking and screaming, get me off, get me off, it would lose its meaning to me. He still would die. He'd still be crucified, but the meaning would be gone for me. He said, I lay down my life. I'll be as dumb as a lamb before the shears. I won't even protest because I've agreed with the Father that I'll die to become the shepherd. So he has entered into a voluntary love with you, knowing all your weakness. He knows your parents. He knows your sins. He knows your mistakes. He knows your personality bent. He knows everything about you. And he said, I'm going to choose to love them even at the cost of my life. That is one of the greatest comforts in your weakest moments. If he wanted to get out of having me as his sheep, he had plenty of opportunity. And he's going to tell us in John 10, 28, by the way, I don't plan to ever let you slip out of my grip. I'm going to keep you forever. And then he says, finally, I'll rise so I can continue to shepherd you from heaven. And we get a picture of him in Hebrews 7 that says, he is ever living to make intercession for us according to the will of God that we may have timely help. So he's as much alive and is the great shepherd of the sheep. And uh, he's our chief shepherd, Peter says. Let me uh, just talk to you as a pastor and see some of the challenges I, I felt by these other passages. He said, elders, take care of the church like a shepherd with sheep. Peter says, elders, shepherd the flock of God. Do it willingly. Don't do it for filthy lucre. Don't lord it over God's people. Lead them. Be an example to them. Be concerned about them. And I see five challenges that jump out of the, the template that Christ is the model. It's a scary thing to be a born sinner, such as all pastors, and to become his sheep, and then all of a sudden hear him say, I want you to take care of sheep. I want to make you an under-shepherd. Wait, 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 Lord, I'm a sheep. Me, 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 me. Take care of me. He said, I know, but I want you to help me take care of my flock. You got to be kidding. I'm not kidding. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Well, take care of my people. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Uh, there's going to be wolves that are going to come to Ephesus. Elders, shepherd these people. Oversee these people. And be willing to pay with your life to defend them against the wolves of false teachers that will come to destroy the flock of God. Uh, it, it's, it's tough. I can never say you're my flock because I don't own any of you. I don't. I don't own a franchise called Valley Bible. I'm here today, gone tomorrow. This is Christ's church. Christ saved you folks. Christ keeps you. Christ is the head of the church, not preachers. Christ. 
But what scares me, he makes us elders accountable for a bunch of you, and some of you are rascals. Some of you are always getting into trouble. Some of you stay weak. You go here, there, and we're called by God. He said the false shepherds of Israel never healed the lame. They just fed on the sheep. They never set the bones. They never went after the strain. They never cared. Some of you, you say, I want to sin and don't bother me. Well, you need to go to another place because God holds us guys accountable. Are you taking care of my flock? Five things that I'm challenged by. Number one, what is our motivation as elders and as any shepherding ministry, whether you're leading a men's study uh, children's church, uh, uh, women's study, Sunday school, wherever we are. It's a shepherding, caring kind of thing. Some of us he calls shepherd, but I always have to ask myself, uh, do I love the flock enough to lay down my life for them? That's not easy. I don't mind Jesus doing that for me. I just don't know if I want to do that for him. I don't think I'd mind doing it for him, but what gets real messy is when you're involved. Would you do it for one of my dirty, strain, endangered sheep? Would you endanger yourself to rescue them, or would you just look the other way? Do you just want to be a preacher and everybody brag on three good points and, oh, man, that was great? Or do you care to pastor my people, which is lonely, long hours, and sometimes heartbreaking as you see them go up in flames? See, I, that's what the early churches, most of them only ran the size of a household, so they'd be maybe at the most 50. I keep up with 50. I can't keep up with 1,000. There's 10 elders, five of us full-time, five lay elders. They're on jobs. They can only do so much. I have to ask myself, why are you in it? Do you love the people or do you love the salary? Because a lot, most men don't do things because they love their trade. They love the pay. And ministry is ruined the moment you love the pay and you don't love the people. That's our challenge. Uh, then, reading Ezekiel, do we care for the flock? That's what Peter said. Do we care? Uh, we can't always fix it, but do we care? And lest I forget it, uh, and I did in the first service, uh, many of you don't know him, but some do. Our dear brother Steve Fernandez right now, Pastor's Community Bible in Vallejo, uh, they have discovered a brain tumor uh, in the center of his brain, at the base of his brain, which is fatal when it gets to the base, to the brain stem. Uh, they can't do chemo. They can't even do a biopsy. And uh, his left side is going. It looks like he's had a stroke on the left side. I was with him Monday. His end is near unless God intervenes. He goes to San Francisco State tomorrow to see a world-class specialist. His own father died of this very thing when he was 46. Would you pray for that man and his wife, Karen, and that fellowship? Do we care? Of course, he's like a son to me. Remember that family and that church that's reeling under this grievous news. It's wonderful when you see people who care about God's church. I remember we've had different storms in this church, different building programs. And there was a certain kind you knew if, there, if a, a storm came up, they'd go church shopping. If you got in a building program, go church shopping. Might come back when you get it done. The Lord led us back. Well, bless your name. Where were you when we were building it? Where were we when we were raising money to pay for it? Well, the Lord didn't leave me to be there. No, no, because you don't care. You don't care. And American Christians join churches 
and they have no right to be members because they don't care. The members are to have care one for another, not just the shepherds. We're members of a body too. See, I could beat up us elders over the shepherd analogy, but Rich Rollins used to always tell me, don't forget we're members of a body too, Phil. Every member is supposed to be caring. Every member is supposed to be ministering. Every member is supposed to be helping one another, not a few. Every member. I think of what he says, uh, do we know the flock or are we trying to become known? Does the flock know us? I loved it when the church was small. It's safer now that it's big because you don't know me. And I feel real comfortable with you because I don't know some of you. And I really thank God I don't. I can't keep up with the ones I know. Because I might not like you if I get to know you. And that's why I don't want you to get too close to me. You can't hardly stand the sermons. You ought to know the person. I don't want to know you. I understand. But he knew his sheep. He didn't know them just a buddy around and just uh, his golfing partner or just his buddy buddy. No, he knew them well enough to know when they were in danger. He knew them well enough to know what care they needed. And they knew him. They knew his voice. What a moving picture. This is the God of the universe that's numbered the hair of your head, ordained the day of your birth, has already planned the day of your death, and has already planned the entrance you're going to have into heaven. He knows everything about you. He knows everything. And so uh, I think a big question is, do we love the flock of God enough to risk danger to help the people of God? Uh, I remember a period of, when I was here, I asked God for six months, let me leave this church. I went out. We were going through great trials. We are at the Rio, and anybody that could stay at the Rio had to be an apostle. And I was wore out, and we were in great, great trials, money. We needed this property. Oh, lots of stuff, lots of stuff. And I kept saying, God, uh, I, I got to get out of here. I, I, I'm wore out. I've been here 18 years. I want to go. I want to go. Uh, if I stay any longer, it's going to kill me. And one day he spoke to me. He said, that's just what I intend to do. Because unless the kernel of corn dies, it remains alone. I want you to die. And as far as I was concerned, I died at the Rio Theater. I, I had no more to give. I was spent. The surprising thing is the Lord Jesus knew how to resurrect me and the church so that he'd get the glory. And so I'd say since 1990, I've been a resurrected man. I've continued because of the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. Uh, I had no more to give, but he, he had plenty more to give. Who loves God's church? Who loves God's church? That's the question. What would you do to make his people do well? Would you serve? Some of you won't. You've proven that for years. You've never served. I don't understand you. Uh, would you give? Some of you still praying about it. You've been in disobedience all these years. You're just watching. You're just hanging out. We don't even know if you're a sheep because you don't act like one. Sheep follow the shepherd. And the shepherd says, serve, pray, love my people. Oh, don't love my people because they're always lovely. Don't love my people because they're all the ones you would have chose. Just love my people. It was just like Israel. I didn't choose you because you're easy to get along. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you got a good temperament. Just because you got a Christian doesn't mean you're easy to get along with. But God saves all kinds, and you need to thank him. That's how you got in. And we've got to learn to love each other, appreciate each other, care for one another. It shows the love of the shepherd. He loves you. 
and that ought to be enough. If he loves you, God help me, as Deborah was talking about, these adopted children. He can teach us to love one another, and by this, all men will know you are my disciples because you're right on doctrine. What You're right on what? You love one another. Has anyone accused you of that lately? So we say, well, I know their name. They're the most loving person. Carol and I know a woman, 86 years old. She's in this church. Her name, that church, would be encouragement, enthusiasm, help you if you need help. She's known. But when Jesus called her, she was just a lost sinner. But he said, come, come. And the sheep hear his voice. Let me say something to you that's going to bother you. Your sheep, before he even calls you in his mind, he's already chosen you. He's already elected you. But he said, I'll show it in time who I've elected. In time, I'll say, come forth, bozo. <laughs> Phil Howard, not you, you're intelligent. Come forth, Phil Howard. And I said, I hear a voice above all the noise of this world. I hear a voice calling me. What is it? What is it? What is it? It's the voice of the shepherd. Follow me. Follow me. I heard it on South Cutting, and I've been following now for 50-some-odd years. The voice of eternity spoke to a kid's heart, just like he spoke to you. We're his sheep, and now we're going to celebrate his body and his death as we take communion together, the brothers would come and would distribute the elements in our choir, and then please come. And the church said, Amen. This is your shepherd. Us earthly shepherds are in process. He's already arrived. He's everything he said he is. You don't have to worry about Jesus. Earthly, be sure you put your faith in Jesus. Earthly shepherds are as frail as you. We're all weak men trying to please the shepherd.